Continue in Mesechah Yivamis together. Today's daf is daf Yud Zayin 17. And we are picking up Emir Sashem on daf Tes Zayin Amud Beis 16. Be again, I'm sorry that I can't be there with you in person. But it is such an incredible schos to be able to join you from Yerushalayim, Yerah Kodesh. So we are beginning again, Tez Zayin Amud Beis 16b, and we left off Amr Rabbi Yonasan. It is two, four, six, seven lines up from the bottom. So the Gemara says, What's the meaning of the Pasik? Yodo, quoting over here the Pasik from Echo. Yodo Paras Tsar. Literally, again, the enemy stretched out his hand upon Mahmadeha, all of the precious items. This refers to Ammon and Moab. At the time when our enemies entered into the Beis HaMikdash, in order to destroy the Beis HaMikdash, what happened? Everyone turned to the gold and the silver, right? They were there to plunder the riches. So everyone turned for the gold and the silver. But Ammon and Moab, they set their sights on destroying the Sefer Torah. Now why would Ammon and Moab set their sights on destroying the Sefer Torah? And listen to how profound this is. Amru, Ultimately, it's, it's fascinating. Ammon and Moab were so incensed, so upset, that the Torah excludes them from joining the Kal Yisrael, from joining Am Yisrael. Remember again, there are restrictions. When Ammon and Moab convert, there are restrictions about who they're permitted to marry, what generation they're permitted to join. So they were so upset, they decided to go ahead while everyone else is pillaging and plundering gold and silver, they're destroying the Sefer Torah. Yisarif Baish. Ultimately, again, this Torah should be destroyed in the fire. Siva Hashem. So we'll say, it's also just an incredible yisod. If you think about it, right? Why are Ammon and Moab excluded? Ammon and Moab aren't excluded because the Baruch Hu doesn't like Ammon and Moab. Ammon and Moab are excluded. Asher Number one, because they did not go ahead and greet us with bread and water as we were leaving Egypt. Number two, they hired Bilam ben Ba'ar to go ahead and curse us. So it's fascinating. They're rejected because they did not display basic human kindness towards us. But you know, human nature is that when something goes wrong, our first reaction is to project, or, our first, or I should say to deflect. Our first reaction is, okay, whose fault is it? Something went wrong, whose fault is it? It's not my fault, it's not me. Whose fault is it? Instead of sometimes taking the first approach when something doesn't go right in life, something goes wrong, introspecting, did I do something? Did I do something? Could it be that my behaviors in some way caused this cascade of events. Amon Amov, so incensed that they're rejected. Don't introspect, instead project, deflect. Onto HaKadosh Baruch Hu, onto Am Yisrael, burn the Sefer Torah. Incredible Moser. So the Gemara goes right there. Tziv Hashem Yaakov Tzarov. So the Pasuk over here, was once again, same Pasuk in Eicha, literally translated it means, Tziv Hashem Yaakov that Yaakov, Cloud Yisrael, will be surrounded by enemies. Amra Amr Amrav Kigon Homanyo Lupum Nara. This refers Dafka to the Jewish residents of Homanyo, which was by Pum Nara. What was unique about these individuals? Rashi says over here, they were it was a city that was inhabited by Greeks. And apparently, again, the Jews who lived in who lived in Homanya, which was by Pumnara, they were terribly afflicted by the Greeks. 
אוקיי? אמרה דיוט, אמרה ואסי. עובד כוכב משה קידוש בזמן הזה, חושש השם לקידושיו, קידושין, שמא מעשרת השבטים הוא. אינקרבל גמרא. עכשיו אסי says, if a non-Jew, a gentile, an עובד כוכב מנהידלתר, is מקדיש a Jewish woman in these times, gives קידושין to a Jewish woman, we have to be חושש that it's a valid קידושין. We have to be concerned that it's a valid קידושין, it's a valid betrothal. How could that be? So we'll say this is wild. We're חושש, we're concerned that perhaps he's one of the ten lost tribes. Perhaps one of the ten tribes, and therefore perhaps he's really a Yid, he's really a Jew, and therefore his Kiddushin is a good Kiddushin. So the Gemara says, really? V'ha called the Parshim Ruh Parshim. We have a general concept in Halacha that ultimately, again, when you have something in front of us, right, something that is separated from the collective, something in front of us now, we generally judge it that it came from the majority. So on a simple level, when you have a person who comes and it betrothes a Jewish woman, If you don't know him to be Jewish, you have to assume that he's separated from the vast majority of the world. And the vast majority of the world, as you may have noticed, is not Jewish. He's not Jewish. So called the Parshin Ruh whatever comes out from the collective, by definition, has to be judged based on the rov, based on the majority. So why would you assume that if a person who we know to be non-Jewish is Mekadish, a Jewish woman, that she would be Choshesh for, for that Kiddushin? Why not more, just more generally assume that Allah Chalamaisi is not Jewish? To which the Gemara says, Beduchta Dikvi. No, 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 we're talking about a place where it was known that the ten tribes had settled there. Look at Rashi, last Rashi in the Daf. Beduchta Dikvi. Bnei Asaris Hashvatim. V'chol kavua kamechza mechza dami. V'heicha kvi. So the idea over here is we're talking about an area where we know, we're going to get into this in just a moment, that the ten tribes had settled at some point in their journeys. So we're concerned that perhaps over time, the Jews who had settled there, the ten tribes, the remnant of the ten tribes, became assimilated. So there's a, there's a concern that perhaps one of these people here, when he's Mekadesh, a woman, is in fact a Jew, and therefore his Kiddushin ultimately is a valid Kiddushin. His Kiddushin is a valid Kiddushin. So that, this is the Abdurrosay of Kol Kemechza, Kol Kemechza, Kol Kavua Kemechza Mechza Dami. When something is found in its place, in its place, So then ultimately we, don't, we, we consider that to be a 50-50 chance. Well, so without getting into the technicalities of this, you know, the paradigmatic case of this is you have, you have, nine, you have nine stores that sell, you, you have nine stores that sell non-kosher meat, one store that sells kosher meat. If you go ahead and you find a piece of meat in the street, you go after the rove. You say, call the parsh, you know, parsh. Whatever came from, whatever, whatever was extracted from its original location is assumed to come from the majority. But ultimately, if you walked into a store, that might be a little bit different. That's called kol kavua kamechza mechza dami. Whenever you go into a location where something, you know at some point in time was anchored, then we don't look at that as a rove, we look at that as 50-50. Without getting into the halachic technicalities, the idea that the Gemara essentially says is we're talking about regions where we know the 10 tribes had inhabited. They lived there. And we also know that there was assimilation. So if a non-Jew from one of these areas is Mekadesh, a woman, the Gemara suggests you have to be concerned that perhaps he's really a Jew, and therefore maybe, maybe the Kiddushin is a good Kiddushin. So both said, the Gemara now discusses where were these places where the 10 tribes inhabited. So the Gemara says, the Amar Rabbi Abba Bar Kahana, Pasik over here that the Gemara quotes, from Sefer Melochim, the Pasik says, Vayanchem bachlach ubechavor nargozon va'ade madai. Va'ade, sorry, va'are madai. So the Gemara goes through each of these places. Chalach zechilazon. This is the place of chilazon. Chavor, what's chavor? Chavor, top of Yudzayin, zechadyab. 
This is the city of Chadiab. Nargozen Zeginzok. Nargozen is Ginzok. Ba'are Madai Zu Chamdon Seha. And the cities of Madai, this refers to Chamdon and its surrounding cities. So the Gemara goes right to Va'amilei Zu Ginzok Vachavroseha. Others say it's Ginzok and its surrounding areas. Okay, uh, I'm sorry. Zu Nihar I'm sorry. So Hamdan, sorry. Zu Nihar Nihar Vachavroseha. Ultimately, some say it's Nihar and its surrounding cities. So the Gemara says Chavroseha Man. What are the surrounding cities? Okay, so these were all places that were meaningful. They knew these particular places and they knew that the ten tribes were settled in these areas. So when we say that if a non-Jewish man is Mekadesh woman, you have to be concerned that perhaps he's Jewish, it doesn't mean in, in the veldt, you know, in general, but rather it means in these specific areas. Interestingly enough, the Gemara says, by the way, it's a big problem because the truth is we're actually concerned about Mamzerus. This goes back to yesterday's daf a little bit, that kind of where there's assimilation and a general erosion of halacha and, and specifically marital law and divorce, that's where we get into significant Mamzerus concerns. And Rashi says over here, Lifso Ruban Mamzerin, Shinitmu Aseris Hashvatim Ba'ovdos Kochavim, Strashi points out over here that again, in general, there was assimilation, intermarriage, lack of understanding of halacha, of course, and therefore all of this kind of creates a big mamzerus chalant. So therefore you have to be concerned with mamzerus that comes out of these places. When I said this before, Shmuel, Shmuel said as follows, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when a non-Jewish man fathers a child with a Jewish woman, ultimately that child is called your child, which is another way of saying that that child is Jewish. That's how Jewish. But conversely, if a Jewish man fathers a child with a non-Jewish woman, ultimately that child is not called your child, i.e., that child is not Jewish. Rather, again, quote-unquote, it's her child. So here's what's interesting. What the Gemara is pointing out over here is, I don't understand, at the end of the day, why are we concerned, why are we concerned for any level of mamzerus? If halacha lamaisa, if halacha lamaisa, people intermarried, so don't we assume just at a certain point in time, everybody's not Jewish? To which the Gemara says, v'ha'ika banos, okay, but what about the girls? In other words, that's, that's fine. In other words, halacha lamaisa, you could say if the men intermarry, there's no problem of mamzerus because ultimately everyone just becomes not Jewish. What about the women? Rashi says over here, banos, shenishbu v'nisum ovdei kochavim bo'lidu mehem. What about the Jewish women who were taken captive? We saw in yesterday's daf who were violated, taken captive, ultimately marry non-Jewish men. They have children. Those children are Jewish. But says to the Gemara, says something amazing, v'amra vina, Shmamina ben bitcha abamina oveiko chavim kari bincha. So, and we learned that Allah Chalamaisa, when a non Jewish woman has a child with a Jewish man, that's a Jewish child. So, ultimately, why, why? So, in other words, for the men, I understand from the Jewish men's side, there's no problem with Mamzerus, because at the end of the day, if you intermarry, that's it, it's the end of the line, chas shalom. But by the women, by the Jewish women, there are Jewish children here. So, this is actually a profound Gemara. The Gemara says, Gemiri, Debansa dahudara itztaruye itztara. Actually, very, very overwhelming. The Gemara says, we have a tradition that the women 
the women of that generation, of the Aseris Hashvatim, of the ten tribes, ultimately weren't able to conceive. Why weren't they able to conceive? Rashi says, It's Tarui, it's Teru, Nifka Rachman, Miliklod Zera, Venasu Akaros. Ultimately, again, that their, Rashi says literally that their womb was uprooted and they, were, they became sterile. They were unable to conceive children, which is an overwhelming yisod. What exactly it means, I don't know. But one thing we do know, which is that trauma disrupts the menstrual cycle. And that halacha lamaisa, again, that obviously disrupts the ability to go ahead and conceive. So could it be that on one level, the Chazal are telling us that the exile of the ten tribes was so dramatic and traumatic for those women that literally it caused almost like across the board fertility issues. I don't know, perhaps that's what the Gemara is saying, but Lamai said the Gemara is telling us that we have a tradition that those women just didn't conceive, which tragically means that those families stopped at that generation. Therefore, again, the issue at play is really one of men intermarrying. Ike de Amri, others have a different version of this. Ki Amrisa Kamei de Shmuel, Amrale Lo Zazu Misham, so the Gemara says, another tradition we have is that they did not move from there. In other words, they did not disband the base Medrash until they ruled that all of the people of these cities are Ovdei Kochavim. In other words, what they did was as follows, that essentially through Jisha the Chakira, right, through analyzing the situation, they came to the Halachi conclusion that essentially the 10 tribes have disappeared, have disappeared. And unfortunately, Rahman al-Islam, and therefore again, the people from these particular cities. Now again, does it mean that there aren't remnants of the ten tribes elsewhere? That there are survivors of the ten tribes? It's certainly possible. Certainly possible. What it's saying, the Gimara is saying, is that the people of these particular cities that we're talking about, they're not Jewish. They're not Jewish. These are of these are non-Jews, and therefore again, if one of these men were to be Makadesh, a Jewish woman, Halach said the Kiddushin would have no validation, and there's no Mamzerus issue. They declared them all simply as non-Jews. Quoting over here the Pasik from Hosea. So the Gemara goes right to the Gemara says, Yosef Rav Yosef Achori Rav Kana, Yosef Kanakamid Rav Yehuda, Yosef Amar, Asidin Yisrael Da'avdi Yomatava, Kiharvi Tarmud. Cloudy soul will make a yamtiv when the city of Tarmud is destroyed. Narashi says over here, Yomatava, Mishundamam Zerimheim, Umitamim, be Yisraelu Post and also. Apparently, the city of Tarmud, as we saw, was uh, was filled with mamzerim, and the problem, of course, was that these individuals would marry regular Jewish women, and of course, when that happens, Rachman al-Islam, it fundamentally uproots and taints the genealogy of Klal Yisrael. So the Gemara says over Rav Kahana says, "Is this strong lashon? Klal Yisrael is going to make a yamtiv." Now it seems to be that. There was some, there was some almost negative motivation on behalf of these residents. Like Daf is marry in your own city, marry right, Mamzerim, marry Mamzerim. They said, marry in your own city. There seemed to be like almost you feel from the Gemara that there was like an underlying desire to to corrupt the lineage of Cloud Israel. So therefore, again, Rav Kahana says it'll be a yamtiv when the city of Tarmud is destroyed. I it's already destroyed. To which the Gemara says, no, 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 Hahi Tamatavi. That's not Tarmud, that's Tamud. Tamud was destroyed. Tarmud hasn't been destroyed. Ravashi Yamar, Hainu Tarmud, Hainu Tamud. Ravashi says it's the same place. It's the same place. I. So why do we speak about Tarmud being destroyed if it's already been destroyed? To which the Gemara says something very interesting. Osiv Mehai Gisa. 
sorry. So ultimately, the Gemara says, Rashi says the people of Tamar do something very interesting. Whenever one part of the city is destroyed, they build the other. When that part is destroyed, they rebuild the other. So it's a when it's destroyed from this side. Osiv mehaigisa, they rebuild it from that side. Vicharev mehaigisa, osiv mehaigisa. When they destroy it on this side, they rebuild it from this side. So apparently, again, the people of Tamar are quite resilient. So no matter no matter what happens, they're constantly going ahead, and they're constantly going ahead and um, and building and rebuilding. So therefore, again, they're always in a partial state of being rebuilt. So it'll be a yuntiv when ultimately they are destroyed. So I'll say, first of all, an incredible, you know, the, uh, the, the idea is to learn, Ezu chacham halo made me call Adam. And what a, what a Musa from the people of Tarmud. Sometimes what you build gets destroyed. And so often when what we build gets destroyed, unfortunately, we're often miyayish, we just give up. But the goal, of course, in life is when something you build gets destroyed, rebuild it. And sometimes you have to recognize, I can't rebuild it, dafka, where it was destroyed. I have to rebuild something else. What a Muslim from the people of Tarmud. This part of the city gets destroyed. Apparently, they couldn't rebuild that city. They built on the other side, right? That part got destroyed. They built on the other side. When, when life destroys that which you have built, find the koach to rebuild. And even if you can't rebuild that which you, have, which you had built before, so even if you can't rebuild exactly that which has been destroyed, find the koach to build something else. Ezu chacham alo made me kolodam, even from the mamzerim of Tarmud. Incredible. Ruyasev Rav Hamluna kamedu Ula. So Rav Hamluna was sitting in front of Ula. Vekahavi bishmaita. And ultimately, again, they were learning together. Now, literally, Kavit Bashmaita means that Ula was challenging his learning, right? So they, Rav Hamluna was presenting something in front of Ula, and ultimately, again, it was being challenged. So Amar, Amar, so Ula said, Ma Gavra, what a man. This Rav Hamluna, what a, what a Tamat Chacham. How absolutely incredible. Uma Gavra ilod ilab And how great would he be? had he not come from the city of Harpanyo. So apparently Harpanyo was another city that had a big Mamzerus issue. So Ulu was saying, ah, this guy, Rav Hamluna, he's absolutely incredible. Right, absolutely incredible. But if only he didn't come from Harpanyo. Ixif, Rav Hamluna was embarrassed, understandably so, because uh, Ulu was kind of saying, listen, you're great, but you're not that great because you come from Harpanyo. Amrle, so Ulu saw that he was depressed. Tell me, where do you pay your head tax to? What city do you pay your head tax to? So, Amrle the Pumnara said, Ah, I pay my head tax to the, to the municipality of Pumnara. Amrle Imkain, me Pumnara at. If that's the case, you, you are from wherever you pay your taxes to. It's a good lesson. Right? So, therefore, you pay your taxes to Pumnara, you're really from Pumnara. Good news, you're not from Harpanyo. To which the Imran says, By the way, my Harpanyo, what's, what's so bad about Harpanyo? It is a mountain that everyone turns to. Now Rashi says over here, Anyone who is genealogically unfit comes to Harpanya for a Shidduch. So it's a place, it's a place where you have many people with genealogical blemishes and difficulties. 
or Tana Koshein Makir Mishpachto Vishivto Nifnilasham. Or it was anyone who doesn't know their tribe or doesn't know their family affiliation goes to Arpanya. So the point over here is that it is a place made up of primarily people who are genealogically blemished, lineologically blemished. So therefore, again, so uh, which also will say is such an incredible. So the Gemara says, Vihiamuk Amarava, Vihiamuk Mishal, that Harpanya is even deeper than Gehenim. Then Gehenim, Shinemar, Miat Shaolif Demi Mavesegalim. The Pasik says that I will redeem them from Shaol. I will save them from death. Yet ultimately, again, Halacha so you can be saved from Gehenim, but you can't really be saved from genealogical unfitness, right? Once you have Mamzerus, unfortunately, it remains. So Psulik de Harpanyo, Mishub Psulik de Mishon. So I'll just point out something amazing over here. In that exchange between Ula and Rav Hamnuna, what you also see is something fantastic, which is the effect that your surroundings have on you. So here you have Rav Ra'ula being so impressed with the Torah of Rav Hamnuna, but yet being so sad that Rav Hamnuna is from Harpanya. So you say to yourself, but who cares where he's from? Lemaisa, again, he's Rav Hamnuna, he's giving over this beautiful Torah. Because where you come from, and more importantly, the circumstances or the influences which you surround yourself with have an effect on who you are. We like to think that our surroundings don't affect us. We like to think that kind of who I surround myself with, where I allow myself to be, won't have such a residual effect on my neshama. But it's blatantly false, profoundly untrue. Everything has an effect on who and what we are. To the point that you even have Ula saying, you're such a great Talmud Chacham, Nebuch, but the fact that you're from Harpanyo, that imprinted, that, that has an effect on you on, in some way. An incredible you saw. The Gemara ends off by saying, the Gemara says, um, sorry. So the Gemara just says, by the way, the, 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 the Psulim, right? Those who are genealogically unfit from an Harpanyo, they originally came from Mishan. Right, Psulei de Mishan, Mishu Psulei de Tarmud. The people from Mishan originally were from Tarmud. Psulei de Tarmud, Mishum Avde Shlomo. The genealogical unfitness of Tarmud came originally from the servants of Shlomo. That was yesterday's daf. The very wealthy servants of Shlomo who married Jewish women. So it's amazing. So interestingly enough, all these places all originate in the same problem, which is Avde Shlomo. So that cohort, that cohort who created this genealogical unfitness, kind of moved place to place to place. This is what people say, So the Gemara says, this is what Rava said, if you look at Rashi, Sometimes you have a large measurement, a small measurement, and ultimately, again, kind of they all combine, they all combine, and snowball together. I'm sorry for I'm sorry for some of the background noise. Remember, they should just have a full shalima. So the idea over here is sometimes you smart start with a small measure, a large measure, they combine, and it's almost like describing a snowball effect. Because the Gimara says you have a kavaraba kavazuta. Kavaraba kavazuta mingadarva azal shal, misha'al the tarmud, tarmud le mishan, ubimishan laharpanya. So again, this genealogical unfitness began in one place and eventually snowballed going from place to place to place to place. 
Osei, which, by the way, also an incredible Moser, which is when you don't deal with your problems, they snowball, right? So what started out as a relatively contained issue with Avdi Shlomo, snowballs, goes on from city to city to city to city until ultimately, again, ends up, ends up, it appears in Mishan, Tarmud, Harpanya. Okay. Both say incredible. Hadron Aloch, Mazel Tov to the conclusion of the parak. Both say, now back to Yibum a little bit. So actually, we're going to pick up with one of the cases that we're familiar with. This one, the first Mishnah. Ketzad Ishes Achiv Shaloh Hayabaulamo. So I will say, this is the case of a brother, the Lushan that they use are brothers who were not alive at the same time. So just let me just illustrate this case first outside. I'm sorry, I know what's going on. I'm sorry. Let me first illustrate this case. First illustrate this case in a simple way. Two brothers, Reuben and Shimon. Right, so what happens now? So Reuben, Married to two women, Rachel Leah, no erva, we're done with erva, everybody's happy, everything's good. So what happens? So Reuben passes away. Reuben passes away, Reuben's married to Rachel and Leah. After Reuben passes away, so he has a brother Shimon, after he passes away, they have another brother, Levi. Okay, another brother, Levi, good. So I'm say, now Levi was never alive at the same time that Reuben was, okay? So Shimon now does, Shimon does Yibum with Rachel. Shimon does Yibum with Rachel. Shimon happens to have another wife, Miriam. Okay, Levi's born, Levi grows up. Shimon dies. Shimon now dies without children. So that means two wives, Rachel and Miriam, fall to Levi. So the problem is, Levi can't do Yibum with Rachel. Why not? Because Rachel was the wife originally of Reuven. And ultimately, again, remember, married Shimon through Yibum. And Reuven, and excuse me, and Levi was never alive at the same time that Reuven was. They were non-concurrent brothers. So because of that, so because, because Levi, the brother who was born after the death of Reuven, can't do Yibum with Rachel, who was the wife, that Shimon died after Reuven, after Reuven passed away. Therefore, again, Levi is precluded from doing Yibum with either of Shimon's widows, both Rachel and Miriam, which I will say falls into the call of the first Mishnah, which was essentially, once you're precluded from doing Yibum with one of the wives, once she becomes, we'll call it an erva type, not really an erva, but precluded from Yibum, her tzara, her co-wife becomes precluded from Yibum as well. That's the case, that's the case of Eishas Achav Shalom HaYabaulamu, non-concurrent brothers. So let's take a look. So Kate said Eishas Achav Shalom HaYabaulamu, what's the case of non-concurrent brothers? Shnei Achim Umeis Echon Mehem, you have two brothers, Reuven and Shimon, and Reuven died. And what happens? Then after the death of Reuven, another brother, Levi, is born. So both say, now after Levi is born, So both say, so now what happens? <coughs> Afterwards, Shimon does Yibum with one of Reuven's wives. We called her Rachel. Okay. Then what happens? We'll say, Umes, Umes. And then ultimately Shimon dies. So what's that lacha? Harishona Yotza Mishum Eishes Achiv Shalohayabaolamo. So obviously Levi can't do Yibum with Rachel because ultimately Rachel is was was the wife of Ruvain and and Levi was not alive at the same time that Ruvain was alive. So he can't do Yibum with Rachel because again, 
Rachel is still connected to Ruvain. Ruvain is still connected to Ruvain. And Levi and Ruvain are not concurrent brothers. And ultimately, again, Miriam, who is Shimon's other wife, also can't do Yibum with Levi. Why not? Because, again, she's the Tzara. She is the co-wife of Rachel. And because Rachel is precluded from doing Yibum, she is precluded as well. So we'll say, what happens? Halacha in the same case, same case, Ruvain passes away. Levi is born. Levi is born. Shimon didn't yet do Yibum with Rachel. But what does he do? He does Ma'amar. So we spoke about the idea Ma'amar is kind of like this rabbinic betrothal when it comes to Yibum. It's not, it's not, it doesn't really affect anything, but it's kind of like a quasi-kidushin. So he does Ma'amar. He never did Yibum with her. He never did Yibum with Rachel. He just did Ma'amar with her. Umes, and then ultimately again, then Shimon dies. So in this case, interestingly enough, Shimon has a wife Miriam. He did Ma'amar with Rachel, but didn't actually do Yibam with her. Then he dies. So what's the halacha? So Umes, says, obviously Levi can't do Yibam with Rachel because he, she is the wife, she is the widow of his non-concurrent brother of Ruvain. What about Miriam? What about Miriam? Shnia cholatas velomis yadames. We make Levi do chalitz. You both say, technically speaking, Levi should be able to do yibum with Miriam because Miriam is not the co-wife of Rachel because remember again, Shimon has not yet done yibum with her. But nevertheless, we make Levi do chalitza with Miriam. Again, we'll get into all of these cases in Mirza Hashem. But actually a relatively straightforward case. So Amr of Nachman, Mandatani Mandatani There are two versions. In our in our Mishnah, in our Mishnah, we call when when Shimon, the second brother, dies, we call Rachel, who is the wife who he married, we call her the Rishona, the first wife. In an alternate version of this, some call her the second wife. So the Gemara says, The truth is, either way, whether they call the first wife or the second wife, they're both correct. So the Gemara says, how so? Mandatani Rishona, the one who calls her the first wife, Ahmed Bey's Lomishtabish, is not mistaken why. My Rishona, the boss say, what does it mean you call her the first wife? Rishona, my Rishona, Rishona Linefila. It means ultimately, again, she was the first wife to fall in Yibom. Rashi says, Rishona Linefila, Shenafla Rishona Liyibom, Kodemes Azuba Pam Rishona. So I will say, ultimately, again, remember, because in this case, in this case, Rachel fell for Yibum when Ruvain passed away. Shimon, Shimon, Shimon did Yibum with her. Then Shimon dies. Now Rachel falls for Yibum, right? She's, she falls for Yibum again, but she's the first wife who fell for Yibum. Miriam also falls for Yibum now. But Lemaisa, Rachel was the first wife to fall for Yibum. Okay, and the one who calls Rachel the second wife is also not a mistake. She was the second wife. To marry Shimon. Now she says, Shnir Linisuin, Linisuin shall Shani Shu Hayanasui Kvar Haakara Kishna Flozosafanam. Otherwise, it calls Rachel the second one because ultimately Shimon was married to Miriam before he was married to Rachel. Okay? To which the Gemara says, Milo Askinan, the Yavam Bachra Kachkinis. But how do you know? Maybe it's, how do you know that's the case? Maybe the case is where Shimon, the first woman he marries is Yibum, is Yibum to Rachel, and then afterwards he marries Miriam. Zigimar says, Elamai Shnia, Shnia Benisuin. You're right, rather, what does Shnia mean? Shnia means ultimately, again, that she's married twice. 
that perhaps it calls, it calls Rachel the Shnia because she's married to her. She was first married to Ruvain and now she's married to Shimon. Okay, so both say, the point over here that the Gemara is making is that if you see alternate versions where they call Rachel, the, the Yibam wife, right? Rachel, the widow of Ruvain who marries Shimon, sometimes you'll see her referred to, when Shimon dies, in that case, you'll see her referred to as wife number one. Sometimes you'll see her referred to as wife number two. The point that the Gemara is making is either way, the designation makes sense. Beautiful. To which the Gemara says, let's go back to the source now. From where do we know the case of How do I know that in this case, where Levi is born after the death of Reuven, right? So there's two brothers, Reuven and Shimon. Reuven dies, Shimon is there. Levi is born afterwards. How do I know that Levi has no sheikhs to Yibum with Ruvain's widows. How do I know that? To the point where we'll say, by the way, that even after Shimon does Yibum with Rachel, Ruvain's widow, if Shimon subsequently dies without children, Levi still can't do Yibum with Rachel because Rachel is still called, or initially still called, not just Shimon's, Shimon's widow, but Ruvain's widow as well. How do I know that because Levi was not alive at the same time as Ruvain, that he's totally precluded from Yibum with any woman connected with Ruvain. To which the Gemara says, I'll tell you. So the Gemara says, Hechel Ksiva, Amr Yudom Rav, Amr Kra, Kiyeshvu Achim Yachtov. The Pasik says, when brothers literally again dwell together. What does this mean? Shahai Selahem Yeshiva Achaz Ba'olam. It means they were alive together in the world. That's what it means. In order to go ahead and do Yibam, you have to be alive at the same time in this world. Prat, So ultimately, he will say to teach us, Levi, who was never alive, he can't, it's not Kishu Achim Yachtav, he never was alive at the same time that Reuben was, therefore he's precluded from Yibam. So the Gemara says, the Gemara is right, Yachtav, what about the Pasuk Yachtav, right? Miyuchadim Benachala. It means brothers who share an inheritance, which means pratli achiv min ha'im. It comes to exclude maternal brothers. It will say the same way that it's only if you share a father that you share an achal, share an inheritance. So it has to be paternal brothers. So it will say it's actually very interesting. So two things run out from this Pasuk. Yeshvu teaches me that in order to be subject to Yibum, their brothers have to be alive at the same time. And Yachtov teaches me that ultimately they're together, meaning they would inherit the same way i.e. they are paternal brothers. Incredible. So Rabbi Amar, Rabbi says, So Rabbi says, no, no, no. Yeah, the way we learn out that they have to be paternal brothers for Yibum, interestingly enough, is actually a gzera shava of achva achva, literally the term brothers from Bnei Yaakov, from the sons of Yaakov. What does it say? Malahalon minaav. So we'll say the Pasuk says, by, by the sons of Yaakov, Rashi says over here, it says ultimately, So we'll say, so by, by the brothers, by the brothers actually when they're talking to Yosef, before Yosef revealed his identity, the Shvatim revealed themselves as 12 brothers. So it uses the Lashon Achim over here by the Shvatim, and it used the Lashon of Achim by Yibum, just like by the Shvatim, they were paternal brothers, not maternal brothers, right? Well, some of them were maternal brothers also, but they were paternal brothers. So too over here, Kieshvu Achim Yachtov refers to, by Yibum, refers to paternal brothers. So the Gemar says, Malahalon mina avalom Afkan mina avalom mina Just like by the by the brothers of, by, by the brothers of, by the brothers 
the sons of Yaakov, they are paternal brothers, so too, again, Halach Lamay said by Yibum, when it uses the Lashon of Achim, that refers to paternal brothers. I, why not go ahead? And right, pauses, Ervas Eishes Achicha, right? It says the word Ach, Achicha, by Erva as well. So why not learn out from Ach, from Erva to Ach by Yibum? Now remember again, by Erva, there's an Isra Erva, even with people who you are maternally related to. Why not say, therefore, again, that Ach of Erva teaches us that Ach by Yibum also applies to maternal relatives. Donin achim me'achim ve'in donin achim me'achicha. Now we'll say again, we would rather make a gzera shava of achim achim. You see again, by Yibum and by the sons of Yaakov, it's the same word, achim achim. As opposed to by, by Yibum and Erva, by Erva it's achicha. By, yir, by Yibum it's achim. So we'd rather make a gzera shava of achim achim, Yibum, to B'nai Yaakov, then ultimately Yibum to Erva, where it's the similar words. To which the Gemara says, I don't understand. You don't need exact words. My nafkamina, hatan de bishmal, v'shava koin, ubaa koin, ubaa by tsaras habayis. By tsaras habayis, right, when a house is stricken with leprosy, with tsaras. So we make a gzera shava between the time that the coin initially goes into inspect and ultimately again when he returns to inspect. Now we make that gzera shava equating the two processes even though the Torah uses a dissimilar word, v'shav uba. The point the Gemara is making over here is you can make a gzera shava even if words are not exactly the same. So what's the problem over here? Why can't you make a gzera shava between yibum and arayos? By yibum it says achim, by arayos it says achicha, and use that to teach me that yibum applies even to maternal brothers. To which the Gemara says, to which the Gemara says, you're right. You don't have to use similar words. But if you have similar words, that's obviously the preferred drasha. So I will say, here's what I have. I have the word achim by Yibum. I have the word achim by the sons of Yaakov. And I have the word achicha by Arayos. So now, while it's true that I don't need similar words or exact words in order to make a drasha, when you have a choice between making a shava, ultimately, again, with something that's exactly the same versus something that's similar, I'm going to go with exactly the same. Therefore, the Gemara says we're going to make the Gzeir Shava between Yibum and the sons of Yaakov. Just like the Achim by Yaakov, they are paternal brothers, so too the Achim by Yibum are paternal brothers as well. So, so far, said we have Achim teaching me paternal brothers, or Yacht of teaching me paternal brothers. We have Kieshvu teaching me that they have to be alive at the same time. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, Velelev Achva Achva Milot. Interesting. Why not learn out Achva from Lot, brother from Lot? ki Anoshim Achim Anachnu. That was say again, so here you see, Lot says to Aramavino, we are Achim. Remember, Lot was Abraham's nephew. So maybe now we've just widened the Yibum pool, right? And maybe again, maybe again, look at Ashi for just a moment. Maybe you should even have to do Yibum with your father's brother's wife. In other words, he uses the word Achim by Lot. Lot calls Avram his brother, but it's his uncle. So maybe Yibum extends even to your father's brother's wife, to your aunt. 
to which the Gemara says, Mistabra, Mibine Yaakov, Havile Lemelef, Mishum de Mifni. So ultimately, Rabbi said, No, 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 there's another reason. By the sons of Yaakov, Rabbi said, that word Achim is Mufni, it's open, it's extra, it's extraneous, it's unnecessary. Why? So the Gemara said, Listen to this. The Gemara says, Mida Havile Lemichtov, Shneim Asar Avadecha, Bnei Avinu. The Pasuk could have just said, your 12 servants, remember this is the brothers talking to Yosef, B'nei Avinu, the sons of our father. Why does it have to say Achim? Why does it have to say brothers? Ultimately, again, the Torah puts it there because it's for, for a drasha purpose. It is there, dafka, to make a similar, the word is extra. So whenever you see a word that's extra, it's there to create, it's there to create a drasha. What's the drasha? The drasha ultimately, again, is Achim, Achim, from Bnei Yaakov, ultimately to Yibum, teach me that right to, to teach me that Allah that that Yibum only applies with paternal brothers. The truth is, you need both Achim and you need Yachtov. I'll tell you, and I will say both of them seem to teach the same thing, right? Achim, excuse me, Achim teaches me that Yibum only applies to paternal brothers. Yachtov, the Gemara went to say that it's only people who inherit the same way, which are paternal brothers. Why don't you both? Here we go. Because had the Torah just written Achim, you might have thought that you could learn out Achim Akzir Shava from Lot. And that would even tell you that there's even Yibam with your aunt, your father's brother's sister. And maybe you'll say, aye, but that word is not extra, it's not open for drasha. It really is open for a drasha. Why? Because Lot could have said Reim. He could have said, we are, we are close, we're friends. But he used his Achim. He didn't need to use, Torah didn't need to use that word. The fact that the Torah uses that word would seem to free it up for drasha purposes. Therefore, Kasav Rahmani Yachtov Hamiyuchad bin Achla. So it's interesting. The drasha of Achim by itself is not an ironclad drasha. Because as much as you have Achim by the sons of Yaakov, which tells you paternal brothers, you also have Achim by Lot, which seems would even say your father's brother's wife. Therefore, you need Yachtov to solidify the drasha. Only brothers who inherit together, i.e. paternal brothers. Because of Rachmani Yachtov, and had the Torah just said Yachtov, Havamina Demiyachde Ba'aba Ubi'ima. I would have thought maybe Yachtov means that Dafka, they share only, Yibam only applies to brothers who share the same father and mother. Therefore, again, Tzricha. Therefore, we'll say Achim from Yaakov comes to teach us that Allah suggests paternal brothers. I, Vaha, Mehechatisi, Mehechatisi, Yibam Benachla, Talarachmana, Benachla Minaav, Velo Minaim. So the Gemara says, but one second, how would you assume that? Yibum, Ribum is fundamentally tethered to inheritance, as we will see. And inheritance only comes from a father. Right? Inheritance is determined by a, by a paternal relationship and not, not from the mother. To which the Gemara says, you're right, but you're right. I would have thought, even though normally so we know that Yibum is tethered to Nachla, to ultimately to inheritance. And inheritance comes from the father. I would have thought that because Yibam is so unique, why is it unique? It permits an erva, right? It permits an otherwise prohibited relationship. So I might have thought Dafgat only applies to brothers 
who share both a father and a mother, to which the Gemara says, Sricha, therefore I need both drushes. So we'll say it turns out from this sugya, interestingly enough, that the way we, what we're learning out is as follows. So first remember, this whole discussion got started with concurrent brothers. So how do I know that Levi, who's the brother who was born, after Ruvain passes away, how do I know that he's not Shaykh at all to Yibum, anything to do with any woman ever married in any way to Ruvain? They have to have a yeshiva together. If they haven't lived at the same time, ultimately, again, the brother who was born after the death of the first brother, in this case, this lady who was born after the death of Ruvain, no shaykhs to Yibum. But now, Bosei, we're beginning to, to kind of build this out, this Yibum construct a little bit. Furthermore, what else do we learn? Yibum only applies to brothers who have the same paternity. Two drushas, Yachdov, they're together.